Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. We still got a recorder. <laughs> I have got a recorder actually. It's um, it's it's quite a long one. Right. It's a uh, you know. More mellow sounding than the what are they called the descant? Is that the descant? Desc yes, descant recorder. Then there was the treble. I think it's a treble. The one I've got. Right. Does that mean it's both longer and thicker? It's longer, thicker, with a sort of more mellow, more mellow sound. Right. A bit reminiscent of that awful Mike Oldfield Christmas song. Oh, right, okay, what's that in called? Dulce, in Dulce Jubilo. That's the one. <laughs> Do you not like that? <laughs> that sort of bothers me. Does it? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, once is enough to hear that song. In a lifetime, let alone once at Christmas. Now, you see, I might, I might have to disagree with you here because I think it's a rather splendid piece of guitar playing. At the end. Oh, I don't like that old field guitar. That... Yeah, well, I suppose to his credit, it's not just blues runs. But I don't like. I don't like the Mike Oldfield, two slightly distorted guitars, uh, guitar sound. <laughs> he strikes me as somebody who could live in the village. You know, who Viv Stanshaw or Mike Oldfield? Mike Oldfield. Well, he'd own most of the village if he lived here. Right. He's totally loaded. I've got your village down as that kind of... Have we talked about this before, that kind of Stella Street thing now? Stella Street? You know, when well, all the... you might see Mick and Keith in the shop. Yeah, yeah, all that. Yeah. <laughs> who who right. would be your Stella Street village? <laughs> right. To anybody who's listening, Stella Street was a comedy show where people who did impressions, I think it was, it was Phil Cornwell or somebody else did all these impressions of people who all lived on one street, didn't they? So, like, Michael Caine was in it, and Mick and Keith were in it. and Yeah, I think Mick and Keith owned the shop, didn't they? Did they own the <laughs> I shop? I think they might have owned the shop. <laughs> the village shop in the moon, all right. <laughs> Brilliant. We need to encourage that to happen in your village in real life. Yes. Yeah, we do. Well, I was reliably informed that Mick and, uh, and Ronnie Wood was visited the big house on the hill. So they must have gone past our window because there's no other way in. Unless they went in the big gate on the main road. They might have done that in the limo. Or they might have gone past our house. Who knows? You never know who's going past. No. Right, well, I think answers on a postcard for that. If you can think of people that would make up... Because it'd work really well around the green, wouldn't it? Hmm. Yes, I'd quite like Miriam Margulies. Oh, I green. think that's a good shout. I would like her and Britt Eklund. <laughs> I think we need to mix it up. Next I think I think Na Nigel Farage should be in one of them. Oh, my God. He should run the pub. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> Nigel Farage. And Chuck Ch oh, Jezza Clarkson no. in there as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and David Cameron doing mowing the cricket square. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is shaping up to be a classic. <laughs> and George Best on George Best Row. Oh yeah. Can, can they be yeah. dead? Can they can they be sort of dead and yet come back to life people? I think for the purposes of this, yes. I think we've blown out the water the idea of it actually happening. We've now gone a bit further than that, haven't we? Yeah. I'd quite like Tom Jones along the terrace, if I could have him. <laughs> what, wandering Stri- around in those speedos that he seemed to wear in the 70s? <laughs> yeah, always striding out in his leather pants for a loaf of a morning, looking very kind of Welsh and hearty. <laughs> striding out in his leather pants for a loaf? That's a that's an episode title, isn't it? We, we sorted for that. <laughs> We have got a high court judge uh, who lives on the green in real life, uh, um, but I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't get into that. No, you can't. She, I can't say anything else in case she listens one day because she's she's quite lovely, and I'm not going to rip the piss. No, no. she's a runner. She's Is a she? runner. She, she gets up at five in the morning, no earlier, half past four, and she runs from here to Bicester. And Why? gets on the tr- gets on the train to London. She runs. I mean, it's it's a good sort of eight or nine miles. Maybe it's ten miles, and she runs. Then she gets on the train, uh, and then goes to Chambers, wherever that is in East London. I think it is by the High Court, you know, the Old Bailey, and all of that. And then she gets she gets into work about half past six or seven and does she says oh that that's that's the only time i can do my proper work is that that hour before everybody else turns up and then she's reading all her case notes and her files and all that before she goes into court before anybody else has even shown up having got up at half past four run a bista got on a train she's a force and then when she comes home at night, she runs back. Well, she'd have to, wouldn't she? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, she could get a taxi, but she doesn't. Yeah. She's a runner, fit as a butcher's dog. Well, she will be if she's doing that. Mm. God, and yeah. then she presides over these, no doubt, horror trials because she's really, you know, she's a high court judge, so it's only the really serious stuff that ends up there, you know, the murders and the nastiness. So, uh, yeah, poor thing. She must have a head full of horror. She must need that run in the morning and evening just to decompress. I think that's probably it. It's just a way of, of getting getting your head around a job like that. I mean, that's there are some jobs, aren't there, that people have to do them, but mm-hmm. no one would really want to. So it is a kind of, it's a job you do out of service as much as anything else. I'm sure it's very well paid and all, but it must be a tough, tough gig. Oh, yeah. To lie down, to sleep at night with all that shit in your head must be, you know, all the the scum of the earth and what they've done to each other. Now, you see, I I run a little bit, but not to that extent. But the last thing I would have wanted when I, or would want when I got home from a run is to put, is to put one of those wigs on. No. I mean, you're a bit be... clammy when you get back anyway. Mm. No, she's probably got a, a, a shower or a, a kasha pressure washer, <laughs> you know, in the office. Somebody hoses her down on the way in. 
<laughs> before the wig goes on. <laughs> I suppose it's a good use of time. It's but you know very practical, but it doesn't seem very pleasant. <laughs> should we start then? Yes. yes right. Okay. What? Well, one six seven, isn't it? Because we we're, we're kind of batch recording at the moment, and we've no real idea where we are. We're one six seven. We're on one six seven. Exactly what I wrote. Okay. Okay. Right. Here goes. Hello and welcome to chapter one hundred and sixty-seven of the Corona Diaries. Oh, we're like a machine, Ant. We're like a machine. Dear. Well, as I've said, Corona Diaries, we ought to remind people, if you haven't voted, please vote. But lots of people have voted, haven't they, in the British Podcast Awards, I see. Yes, lots of people. And I had a note this morning from somebody who said voting is now closed, and it can't have done, can it? No, it's not closed till September. Oh, maybe he was on the wrong site. Right. Maybe he was on Eurovision. (laughs) Yeah, that's finished. (laughs) <laughs> Surprised it got away with that one. <laughs> Bearing in mind the announced result about a month ago. But probably, oh, probably putting a vote in for Brotherhood of Man or something. Oh, Brotherhood of Man. No, let's not get started on that. They could knock live around the village. Times, knock three times. Knock three times and let's see if you want. They could live around the village. But you don't want too many musicians, do you? One could argue that Brotherhood of Man were not musicians. <laughs> Remind me, is it libel when it's written down and slander when you say it, or is it the other way around? <laughs> it's um, libel when it's written down, yeah. Right, and slander, slander when, you, when say you say it. So it's slander. But we'll write it in the notes I, I think, as well. Double whammy. We're here to tell you, Brotherhood of Man. <laughs> it's slibel if you do both. Slibel. Mm. Oh, lander. Bit of lander there. <laughs> Um, we're going to talk about fear, but before we start, two, mm. a couple of quick things. Um, one, I just need to, I just need to say how much I love Lucy Jordash. Just need to put it out there. Oh. I think she's wonderful. She I love scare Lucy. Me very so, slightly, but I think she's wonderful. So I just want to put it out there. Okay. Uh, right. And she's a fabulous person. And fabulous and, person. What, what, she's starting to get a bit. Yeah. With all the sorry Lucy's, I, I think she's starting to feel. No, I like... think it, I think it was me saying that text message sounded a bit like an arrow coming past me ear. I think it's so she's <laughs> absolutely not scary, and she is lovely, and uh, and we had a very pleasant evening this time last year walking around property. In fact, I think she bought me an ice cream, so she is oh. she is absolutely lovely. So apologies, Lucy. It's only for a giggle. Was um, that only a year ago? It must be. Well, wait, well, it must be coming up. Is that August though? Was actually, it, was it might that be a bit. All it was. My goodness! Are you yeah, not? Are you not up. playing this year? I haven't been asked if oh. the the phone could ring, and you know, I could, it could be it could be some crusty old folk hero asking me to make an appearance, or some eighties pop genius producer. You know, who knows who phones me these days, Ant? Mm. Random mm. folk, or an old prog rock violinist might phone me up and announce that he's got a you know, a spot, and can I get up and sing the song? Because I you... sang, a, sang a song called Morpheus with Daryl Way, and uh, just, just you know, for the crack, really, thinking it, thinking it wouldn't go any further. And now it's out, and there's a video and all sorts. So, um, you know, Prog, Prog Magazine were, were mentioning that Daryl and I have made a video, and Lucy was saying, I didn't know about this. And I said, well, I don't know about it either. And she said, well, are you in it? I said, well, I'll have to watch it. So I watched it, and I wasn't. 
much to my relief because if I had been, I'd have really worried about myself because I, I would have, you know, that would have mean I'd have shot a video that I'd no notion about. Um, but I'm not in it. I'm singing, but um, I'm not in it, in it. In it, in it. No. It's quite a nice video, actually. I've not seen it. I, I must admit, I've not seen it. Hmm. Just for those of you who are thinking you've heard that story before, then well done because you were paying attention to 165. Um, <laughs> just just putting it out there. For those oh, of you who haven't, gonna, go back and listen out. to 165 again. I can't believe you weren't concentrating. <laughs> Hello, my name's Steve Hogarth and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> What whatever I was kind of thinking you might say is that Rick Astley had been on the phone and wanted to know if you wanted to do, I don't know, a, a set of Queen songs or something. I did go to a party a few years back with a friend of mine uh, called uh, Gary Stevenson, who I think I also mentioned. In you have mentioned. I can't remember the episode, though. might have been the same the, one. About the Go West. But Gary did an album with Astley, and he had a birthday party, and... Uh, I went round there, and I don't know why, but I'd got my sister Jilly with me. But I went round there with my sister Jill, and uh, sure enough, there was Rick Astley in some strange wraparound glasses. Um, and at one point, um, Gary had got a stage set up and a you know pair of big speakers, and Rick got up and did his hit and did uh, "Never Gonna Give You Up." And so the the big backing track came thundering out with the Stock Aitken and Waterman disco groove and everything. And Rick was hammered. And he just talked all the way through it. He didn't sing it at all. He just went, I love Gary Stevenson. He's my best friend. He's a lovely bloke. I'm so glad to be here. And it's going, thump, thump. And another thing, blah, 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 blah. I'll never forget the day we blah, blah, blah. blah. And he just sort of drunkenly rapped all the way through it. And uh, my sister never got over it. She said, that was Rick Astley. I went, yeah, I know. You never know who's going to turn up in the shires, do you? So that was very funny. Do you know, that's not, that's a great story, but what a real shame because you could have been the first people who were ever Rick rolled. But you weren't, were you? Because he just spoke all the way through it. What's Rick rolled? Rick rolling to th- it's a Rick rolling to thing. It's a it's I don't know where it's come from, but it's something that all the kids talk about. Because never going to give you up has become a, a school disco classic, right? But I mean for like whatever age, like eights, nines, tens, and 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 apparently that is he. You play that, and that's Rick rolling. Now I'm sure oh. there's a backstory, and and you know if you know this, please tell us because I don't know. But Rick Rowling's become a thing. That's why oh. he's had this resurgence. So it's nothing to do with rolling. You don't roll while you're listening. I, to I don't it, think so. You don't roll around or down a hill. I don't think so. I, I don't like think it's not like it's not like cheese. It's not like that cheese. No, it's thing. not like cheese. Rolling. It's more like rock and rolling, where well, there actually isn't any rolling at all. Well, it's Rick and rolling, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Oh well, there we are. Well, I, I was Rick rolled in no uncertain terms, I think, that night. <laughs> well, you, were we the, you were. possibly were the first, then, <laughs> to be Rick rolled. Oh, oh what, what, with, what with Red Rain and now Never Going to Give You Up? Because he's no, become a no national treasure, it. hasn't he? It kind of has, strangely, yeah. And did you see him at Glastonbury? He played the drums. He, he played the drums. He played yeah. the drums. That yeah. was a shocker. Uh, yes, 
He did. An, he covered an ACDC track, didn't he? I don't know. I just saw that he'd played the drums at Glastonbury and I just thought, oh, he's got hidden depths. I didn't know he could play the drums. What it, there was a beautiful moment, and if you've not seen it, it's worth digging out, where when he, he plays Never Gonna Give You Up and dancers come on stage and they go for the big bit in the middle. with a, uh, And the, he's got the entire line of security people, you know, the people who stand in front of the fence? Yeah. They do all the dance moves. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's brilliant. These, these sort of, you know, 40, 50-year-old, middle-aged, slightly overweight blokes. Yeah. All spinning around doing the... Uh, Doing the Rick, the Rick moves in time with the dancers on stage. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, no wonder he's a national treasure then. When he can do stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we need well, some new ones because our existing group are all going to cark it at some point. So we need a fresh batch, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, we, we do because Judy Dench, she's going to cark it, isn't she? Yeah. Well, they're all going to go. They're all of an age, aren't they? So we need some fresh ones. So Rick can lead that charge. Hmm. Anyway. Back to back to the other thing I was going to say before before we, oh, yeah. we ended up before we talk about what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got one more thing before we do that. So oh. I need to shout out to Steve Wilson. What the Steve Wilson? No, the the a Steve Wilson, the other non-talented Steve Wilson, and that's not my description of him. That's his description of himself. Oh, okay. Um, but Steve has been in touch because. Uh, I mentioned we, 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 we'd both gone in different directions on holidays, and I mentioned I was going to France, to this place called mm. Saint-Gilles-Croix-de-Vie. Steve's been in touch to say, I live in Saint-Gilles-Croix-de-Vie. Would you like You're a beer? You're joking. No. Wow. And he used to live in West Yorkshire. Moved over there a few years ago with his family. Right. And, and, he's, and he's also, he said, there's a fantastic little venue that would be perfect for a H-Natural show. Well, time to book me in. Right. Well, I think on, you just told uh, him yourself. I can even give you a date. Because I know they've been trying to find me a date after Paris in uh, October. Um, shall I have a quick look? Hang on. <laughs> just talk amongst yourselves, folks, as yeah, we... Uh... Me in. Hang on, we're just, yeah, we're just doing a bit of rock and roll business here. Yeah, yeah, bit of, bit of, bit of uh, management business here. Yeah, what was it? So I was going to go to... Yeah, uh, yeah, 22nd of October... If you've got, if you can crowbar me in there, I'll go. Right. So you, you fancy a, you fancy a little jaunt down to just just south of Nantes, then just on the coast, have a little bit of late late autumn sunshine. Absolutely. Is there a train? Even well, there's thousands of trains in France. I'm sure there is. Literally, <laughs> there's railways all over the place. <laughs> no, I meant, is there a train that goes there? No, oh, is I don't there know. a train in France? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll find out for you. <laughs> well, we'll let Steve. Steve, let us know. I already suspected there was a train in France, Anthony. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> Please, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> right, that's France sorted. Brilliant. Lo- we've covered loads already this morning, none of it oh, which yeah, was on yeah. the plan. Yeah. Right, so we're going to try and do a bit on fear on 167 and a bit on fear on 168. But I want to, right. so the bit of fear I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the single. Ah. Living in fear. Because there was a single on the app, and it was a single proper, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. I think we actually released it. We didn't make it, a video, unfortunately. But we, did you? Are you sure there isn't a video no. with you all in it that you don't know about? <laughs> I'm not sure. Have you checked Prog Magazine, just to, check, just to be sure? <laughs> Maybe we did. <laughs> you never know. You know, we might have knocked through it at the record club, and somebody might have shot it, and... 
edited something together, but I don't think, I don't think. Oh God! Imagine if we did. Everybody's <laughs> gonna think I'm such a cabbage. Um, but yes, that song. Because mm. it came out on vinyl, I think. I don't know if there was a CD single, but there was definitely. I'm sure it was out on vinyl. I think he did a 12-inch colour disc thing. Right. Well, I don't know. Right, I'm asking the wrong person about that. Aren't you I? are. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can. I can help you out with the words. So that's about my limit. Well, talk to me about the song then. So, how does the song come about? Because it feels like I know it's long for a single. Mm. You know, like Marillion could knock out a three-minute single, but uh, I know it's long for a single. But it feels like a song, and I don't want to. As in, it's got a more traditional format. Yes, I think Mike was channeling "Sign the Seeds of Love" a little bit. I would when go was, with that. You know, when he was working on it, he said, this could be your sign, the seeds of love. And it was even longer. Mike's vision of it was longer still. And in the end, I think I took a hatchet to it in the end. I just said, this goes on forever. And I I put a few, um, I put a few, few unsubtle edits in it in oh. the end before... <laughs> You, you know, he'd, he'd record, we'd recorded it longer than that on the multi track. And then uh, when he was mixing it, I just thought it went on without, it kind of went on without developing itself a little bit. So I put a few nips and tucks in it um, in Pro Tools or whatever it is you do. Um, so it did get shorter. But, um, yeah, it was a song about how you might... Well, it was a, it's, it's a pacifist song, really. It's a song about how you might choose to live and how, how if you got rid, of, got rid of the gun, your own guns, and just said, there it is. We, we, we've, 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 mel- you know, we've disarmed, so what are you going to do? Um because there's two ways of looking at that, isn't there? There's if if you if you leave yourself wide open, well, you do leave yourself wide open to scumbags like Vladimir Putin. But at the same time, if you arm yourself to the teeth, you you do present yourself as a threat. Um, a bit like what's happening with the Chinese. You know, they're now perceived as a threat, and I don't I don't know if that. I don't know if that's their mindset or whether they just thought we we better defend ourselves. So what can what can set out as a kind of self-defense thing can can start to look like a threat. And then of course whoever feels threatened then then feels the need to to arm themselves and off it all goes. And that's a that's what's going on now post the invasion of Ukraine is everybody's going to start arming themselves to the teeth. And that's a shame and it can lead to no good. So I don't know. I mean, I think in the, in the uh, context of what's going on at the moment in Ukraine, uh, living in fear sounds extremely naive as a lyric. You know, it'd be easy to point point the finger at me and say, "Well, there you go, H. That's what happens when you leave the key on the outside of the unlocked door. Some bugger lets himself in and ransacks your house. 
Um, but it's a shame. It's a shame. Um, it's a shame we can't do that. It's a shame we have to lock our doors, really. It's a shame we can't just trust the people around us. And I don't know. Maybe we should look more closely at why people might ransack our houses rather than just stopping them. You know, why Why would they want to? Why would they need to? And can't we help them? Because mm. um, normally the people who rob your house are robbing it for money to buy drugs or whatever, aren't they? They're to feed some addiction or other. Um, and they really ought to be helped with that rather than be criminalised and, and be forced to to be criminals in order to pay for it. I personally am of the view, for instance, that that all drugs should be legalised, all of them, no matter how dangerous they ought to be. It ought to be. You shouldn't turn somebody into a criminal for possessing a drug. I think that's just wrong. Um. I think you should um, you should help the people who who've got addictions. You know, money should be provided to look after people like that, um, rather than going, okay, you're now a criminal and we're going to throw you in jail, whilst at the same time um, funding the illicit drug trade to the tune of zillions of pounds. And you could spend that money. Um, in a better way. You could make it all legal and just tax it like you do with alcohol. That's my view. And then it would be safer, you know, Wait. because pe- people buy drugs on the street and they don't know what's in it because it's not legal and, and then they take something and it, it kills them because it's all full of rat poison or bloody Ajax or whatever it, it's got in it that's been put in it by unscrupulous types who are who want to sell it to make money, and it all ought to be legal, and you ought to be able to get it in boots and pack, you know, and and know what you're getting. Um, much less likely to kill you if you know if if you know what you're getting, you know. And uh, that's my view. Do feel free to write in and slag me off, but that's where I'm at with that. Um, as for um arming ourselves to the teeth, you know, having a nuclear threat and all of that. I, I don't really agree with that either, to be honest. But it's a tricky one. Mm. It's not really fair either to disarm and rely on the muscle of another nation. That's not right either, is it? You know, say, well, we're not having any arms, but if, if the scumbags come over the hill, we'll we'll phone up the Americans and they can... They can sort it out. So, I I mean, to that extent and to some extent, I sort of find myself agreeing with Donald Trump that it's not fair for the Americans to have to police the world as the good guys whilst other nations don't fork out. They should contribute, Um, really perhaps to a greater extent than, than we have in recent years. But having said that, I don't want to contribute to it. So I'm a mixed-up, complicated guy. There's a lot there, isn't there? 
Mm. Well, you know, I've, I've given it a lot of thought. You know, I've, I've written written a song about melting the guns and leaving the key in the outside of the unlocked door. And then at a time like this, you, you, you think about that and think, that's pretty naive, I guess. Um, but having said that, arming yourself to the teeth is no solution. What Whatever will we do? Well, I mean, those poor Russians. Yeah, it's a shame. It's, it's a sh I feel really sorry for the Russian people, even the ones who, even the ones who completely agree with Putin, because the only reason they agree with him is because they're being fed all that shit from the, their own media, which isn't free. Um. So I feel desperately sorry for the Russians and what they have to put, or, or any oppressed people for that matter. You know, the, the the whims of a dictator, the Syrians, uh, what's going on in Myanmar and all of that. Um, so our wide eyes aren't naive. They're a product of a conscious decision. You know, it's not naivety, it's... Um, it's saying we, you know, I don't want to live that way. I refuse, and if it means I, I'm weak, then I'll be weak. You know, I'm, I'm kind of with Gandhi on, on, on that, really. That ultimately, if you're a bad person and you, you, move forward through life with muscle, it might get you somewhere, but it won't make you happy. You know, and it won't get you nearer to any kind of heaven, whether, you know, a religious one or, or a state of mind. You you know, you'll live in misery by, by moving forward like that. Um, and you might be better off choosing not to live like that. Is it... Was the lyric a direct, a direct, a direct reaction to some of the things that are in the rest of the album? Did you find yourself there because of what you'd written in the New Kings or what you'd written in El Dorado? I don't know. I don't. I don't think I wrote that really with the intention of 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 it making the same point. But I think I think that lyric started out with it started out with two things really. That lyric it started out with the Maginot line, which was that line that they built in France during the last war to keep the uh, Nazis out, and they just walked around it because <laughs> it didn't go all the way down. <laughs> and uh, and and with Raymond across the green, who, who who left his key in the outside of his door, you know, and when I first moved in, I went over there. Not did you know keys are in, in the outside? You've left a key in the outside. Of your door. Oh, don't you touch that boy! I'll know where it is if I leave it there. I've got nothing worth stealing. And I kind of walked away from that, thinking that's really beautiful. You know that that that's how he chooses to live. That anybody can let themselves into his house any time they choose. And he doesn't mind. Um, I thought that was really cool. And he's also so shot away that if, if he doesn't leave it there, he'll lock himself out. <laughs> so 
So I could completely relate. So it started <laughs> it started with that. Uh and the imagine of like no you know, on the Great Wall of China and the the, the, the Berlin Wall and all, all of these walls that have been built in the past and all these barriers that have been erected at God knows what cost that ultimately became obsolete. Um, so, yeah, what a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think through it. While you're thinking through it, I was going to ask you something else because we grew up, we grew up with one of the stories that I remember my mum saying, and I'm sure you probably got a similar story, which was the whole, when I grew up, we never locked the doors. Yeah. That people just wandered in and out of each other's houses, and it was just the thing. Now, I've ne- I mean, now we can't prove that, and I've ne- you know, because we weren't, you know, that's the second hand, not second hand, we got it first hand, but it's, it's, it, it might be a romantic notion rather than actually what it was like. Well, it was like that at our house when, uh, in Wheatley Hills in Doncaster. My mom never locked the front door because I'd got mates who used to let themselves in in the small hours. My mum used to get up first thing in the morning, walk down and gingerly uh, crane her head round the, the door of the front room to see who was on the floor or on the sofa and who who might need a cup of coffee because I'd got all these mates. And if, if they got, you know, if they were out late or they got locked out by their parents, they'd just come round to our house and sleep in our front room. Um... And that was how my mum chose to live. Um, and that's beautiful, you know. And and I'd got a couple of schoolmates. I'd got, got a mate called Carl Gerrish, God rest his soul, who uh, he was my best mate at, at Danham Grammar School in Doncaster. And he was a brilliant, he'd got a brilliant, brilliant mind. He was one of those annoying kids that passed all his other levels and A-levels without doing any revision. Um, and he was a total hippie. He used to wear loon pants and all that, and listen to listen to Joe Cocker, you know, Mad Dogs and Englishman and all of that. Great album. Um, and uh, he went to Corsham School of Art down just outside Bath, and uh, and never never came back and lived down there and stayed down there. He used to he used to make he used to design and make. Um, old like not not tarot cards but old playing cards that looked a bit like tarot cards i've got a set of them in a drawer that he gave me years ago and they're all hand drawn and hand colored and he's something of um he's quite famous in the um in the playing card collecting fraternity um but he passed away a couple of years ago i think it was pneumonia uh in 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 hospital in bath and I don't know how that happened, but I think he just chose to then live dirt poor and just be an artist. Um, he was completely um, out of society. Um, and Lord knows what killed him. Um, but he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. And his father was Hungarian, and I think his mother was French. And his mother had cleared off when he was really young and he lived with his father. And I think his father used to lock him out if, if he'd been out super late, 
his, 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 you know, his dad would say to him, "You come in. You come home any later than midnight, all the doors will be locked. I'll bolt them, you know. So even though you've got a key, you won't be able to get in." And that was his father's way of disciplining him. And uh, of course, Carl reacted to that by just sleeping at our place instead, because um, our doors were never locked. So quite often, Carl Gerrish would be on the floor. And I'd got another mate called Pugsley who was in the army. And he used to, he used to come home on leave and he, he would usually be on the floor um, first thing in the morning. <laughs> My mum would just sort of make them all coffee and give them breakfast. Um, so I did live like that. That's, well, I live like that. My mum lived like that. So she, you- she, she was an only child. And she'd been lonely all her young life, and it had scarred her. And she loved to have people around her. Mm. So living in fear is a, a bit of a nod to your mum then as well? I guess it is. I'd never really realised, but it most certainly is. It's about how you might choose to live. and You know, I'm conscious as well of, of, of the number of guns in the United States of America and how if you cross that border into Canada, suddenly there aren't any. Mm. Because the Canadians don't don't have them, you know, and and I think there are quite a lot of places in Canada where they don't bother locking their doors. There's not a lot of crime, um, and it's just strange that, you know, for you can walk across a geographical line, where everything changes, in terms of the culture and the amount of fear that people live in, and that. You know, you hear stories now, don't you, about people shooting people through closed doors, through the panels of their own front door. People who've just come and rang their doorbell by by mistake got the address wrong and have been shot dead because the people inside the house live in so much fear that unless somebody's arranged to come over, you just assume you'd better shoot them. Imagine living like that. That's, That's pretty... Horrible. That's 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 oppressive. And the two um, the two things go hand in hand, don't they? Because if you're going to leave your doors open, you're probably not going to have a gun either, are you? No. What's the point? Not. You know, if if you were that bothered to to want to lock and bolt your door, then the next stage is probably saying, right, well, what if? So therefore, I need a firearm of some description, or I need a knife, or I need or whatever. Yeah, and I suppose if the worst came to the worst and a couple of ne'er-do-wells burst into your house with guns and want to rob you, and you say, look, take what you want, but I haven't got a gun, I haven't got a knife, you're less likely to get shot Mm. than if you're leaping across the room to try and grab a revolver or something. You know, you're more likely to get shot. So I don't know... How much of a of a deterrent possessing a weapon really is? I think you agree with that. I think I agree with that. Should we go for a bit of diary? Yes, yes. We decided. Yeah, we decided to start melting our guns as a show of strength. Um, yes, I'm going to Mexico now, everybody. Saturday, 5th of October. 
home, Mexico City. I heard Nile moving around first. It was only a matter of five or ten minutes before young Vibes heard him too, and he was himself out of bed. I expected him to appear, but I never heard him descend the stairs looking for whoever was downstairs. Then he came back up and appeared. Who's left all the lights on downstairs? It was 7.45. I waved to him, got up and went downstairs with him, leaving Al in bed for the last half hour of peace until Monday, a promise made last night. Niall reappeared and we had coffee while Vibes and I wrote numbers on pink post-it notes and stuck them on the front door. He's doing well now with his counting and I'm sure he'd have been able to number the notes to 20, but he wanted me to write a few anyway. Strangely, the post came two hours early and I heard the letter drop through the letterbox at 8 o'clock. Vibes decided to take the post to his mum, so I made her a coffee and that was the end of her lie-in. At nine, I decided I couldn't put it off much longer and began packing to leave for Mexico City. Steve Rothery and I are to play a charity show next Tuesday. It's sold out, and to quote the organisers, the show has, in financial and media terms, far exceeded our expectations. That's great, but we'd better live up to it then. The pressure is, as ever, on. Experience has taught me to allow at least a couple of days to soak up transatlantic jet lag. It's a mistake to try and sing when it's 4.30am in your head. Hence the Saturday departure for the Tuesday show. Around 10.30 I left for the airport. The online meet and greet car parking I had arranged requested a telephone call 30 minutes before arrival. So I called them from the motorway when I passed Oxford Services. I dialed the number, but it rang unanswered. Strange. Upon repeated attempts, it slowly became apparent that maybe I'd been scammed. Called home, and Lynette googled a few reviews of said company, all saying that it was a scam and that the comparison website was a fraud. Off to a good start. I guess it could have been worse. I could have given them my car before I found out they were crooks. Oh well made my way to the long-term car park, Terminal 5, kissing goodbye to the 50 quid I'd paid the fictitious meet and greeters, and took the bus to the terminal, where I eventually found Phil, our sound man, and Rothers waiting for me. We checked in, and Rothers wandered off alone while Phil and I went to the Giraffe Cafe for breakfast. Eventually the gate was announced, and Phil and I took the train to the gate where flight BA243 was already boarding. I was recognised by the air steward at the door of the 747 who had seen the band several times. I hoped, in vain, that he'd bump us up to business. We do seem to be much better known in Mexico and from time to time throughout the flight I was asked for an autograph or chatted to by cabin staff who knew about the band. I settled into my window seat for the long journey and spent much of it trying to copy my old 1992 diary into the laptop. Unfortunately, the economy seat didn't allow enough space to open the laptop and be able to read the diary, so I had to read a couple of lines, then close the diary to write them in the laptop, an insanely slow way of doing the job. 
made slower still by my addled brain's inability to remember what I'd just read. Stuck at it for a few hours, but eventually gave up in favour of drinking beer and watching the Alan Partridge movie Alpha Papa, in which, bizarrely, Marillion are mentioned several times. There were few laugh-out-loud moments, but overall the movie was a good, if inane, watch. I'm not easily pleased. Must be my age. Right now, we're over Georgia. 33,000 feet over Georgia, but it's a clear day and the ground is constantly visible. It has been more or less clear for the entire journey, and from my window I have looked down on the green fields and rugged southwest coast of Ireland, the blue-white wave-crested Atlantic, and now the dark, dusty-looking expanse of America. Still two and a half hours to go. I'll have another beer. The in-flight map tells me I'm looking down on Galveston, the coastline of Texas, and the broad sweep of lagoons and sandbars that make up the Gulf of Mexico. I remember listening to the song with my dad. Glenn Campbell's beautiful cowboy tones, singing the song that always brought a tear to me, and still does. All those years ago I never dreamt I'd ever look down on that beach. I still have a vivid memory looking along the ungainly extended wing of the 747 as we banked hard over Mexico City to come into land. The wings broaden and extend backwards until you can see daylight through them and the inner guts of the wing normally hidden from view, pneumatic rams and hydraulic tubes. I'm suddenly reminded that this is a machine made of thousands of inner components and as I gaze up along the wing, now pointing up at the sky in a most unwing-like fashion and at a shocking angle to the horizontal, I feel the slightly empty shudder of fear as I realise how easily this thing could fall on the city below and that inevitable flashback to the Twin Towers and Mad Mohammed Atta. The damage... The damage. I put the aircrew on the guest list. Well, here we are, improbably intact, with feet on Mexican soil. Well, well, Mexican corridors, actually. No problems at all at immigration or with the luggage. We were met in arrivals by Daniela, Leonardo's cousin. We continue to be strangely famous and were photographed and asked for autographs by ordinary members of the public in the arrivals hall. Jumped into a van and we were driven into, or further into, Mexico City Airport seems to be well within the city itself. Maybe it wasn't always. Perhaps the city just sprawled out, enveloped the airport and kept going. Anyway, downtown to the Eurostars Suites at 78 Rio Amazonas. Not long into the journey, we began to see flashes of lightning and then heavy, heavy rain. When we arrived at the hotel, we couldn't get out of the van. Hung around waiting for someone to show up with an umbrella, but nobody got it together. I eventually lost patience and climbed out, getting pretty drenched in the short distance across the pavement. The roads were awash with water. When it rains here, it's monsoon-like. The hotel doesn't have much of a reception, just a dingy marble desk and a few tubular chairs. A welcoming committee awaited us, but we didn't really know what to do. 
There being no bar or cafe, everyone just stood awkwardly about. By this time we were all knackered and my thoughts were focused solely on checking in and getting to bed. Leonardo and his wife, Gabriella, seemed very nice. I felt for them, standing around in this dingy hotel on a Saturday night, waiting for some grumpy and shattered Englishman. The bed was slightly softer than the floor, but there wasn't much in it. Couldn't get on with the pillows. I should have brought my own. Eventually rejected all three pillows in favour of a cushion. And we're back. <laughs> Do you know, I think I'm getting a bit of a cold, Anthony. I, I, I did. You were just doing that. And I was thinking, that, you know, is there going to be a bit of phlegm here? I'm not, I'm not quite. <laughs> there is. Possibly not today. No, maybe tomorrow. It's one of those things. Death, taxes and phlegm are the things that are guaranteed in a life, aren't they? That's an episode title. <laughs> oh, oh, my earbuds fell out. I had a little throwback to the King of Spain there. Sat on my own earbud wire. Phlegm is one of those magnificent words because it sounds a bit like what it is, but it's spelt brilliantly. Bob Fleming. Remember him? In the oh, fast that show. fast show. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, it, but what a great word in terms of... Was it P H L E G M? Yeah, Perhelegum. Perhelegum. <laughs> that sounds like a really posh village somewhere down near you. Point <laughs> Surrey. Yeah. <laughs> I used to live near Egham. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. Right. I mean, you could throw a stone to Egham from where I lived in Englefield Green. That was right next door. Mm. Didn't know that. Didn't got know that. Pur- got a purple in Eng- Englefield Green, you know. Have we? I think we might have a couple. Right. Mm. We- we've never mapped the purples, have we? <laughs> no. We ought to do a purple pur- map. Actually, I in all seriousness, look. that'd be quite interesting. I've got all the addresses. There's loads in Wales. I've got quite a hot spot in, in Wales. I won't lie to you. Right. Nowhere near Barry Island, are they? Well, some of them, no doubt. Yeah. I ought to do an H-natural down that part. You absolutely. I was just thinking Mm. that we need an H-natural somewhere down near Barry Island. (laughs) It'd be great to do Barry Island, wouldn't it? It'd be fantastic to do Barry Island. I think you've got to put that in. In fact, this is 167 is is working. So we've put one in France on the back Mm. of this. Mm. So we need a purple from Barry Island to put the hand up. An organised way you're going to play. Find me a little gig. Yeah, that would be a scream. Yeah. I think a little outdoor thing. I wonder if they've got a bandstand you could play on. Mm. I've often pondered that, doing a bandstand. Uh, Nearly did one in Liverpool once. It was one of the things, one of the bees that Ian Ellington had in his bonnet. He was saying, what about a bandstand? I can't do any. Sorry, Ian, that wasn't very good. You're not that common. He's got more of a soft Roger McGoffey kind of Scouse accent, which is beautiful. He don't talk like that, you know. What about a bandstand age? <laughs> That's more of Charlie the bus driver than Ian Ellington. 
<laughs> Sorry, I've just lost it slightly for a moment now. So bandstands then. The bandstand tour. You could do a little bandstand tour. You could do Barry Island. could do Liverpool. Where else are we, we thinking? Well, they're all over the place, bandstands, aren't they? Like Scarborough, there's probably one. Oh, there's a fab bandstand in Scarborough. There you go. Right, Scarborough's on the list. <laughs> what if we could do the seaside towns? <laughs> I love the way you say we. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming with you. This is this is sounding like the most exciting thing that's ever happened in my life. <laughs> do the seaside. Do town. the seaside towns. So let's a see if we do seaside tour. Yeah, I've never done a seaside tour. Right, that so would be nice. something on the east coast. So Scarborough Brid on the east coast. I think Brid actually. Let's do Brid. I could hand out. I could hand out. Ice creams, can I? Yes. In exchange for something or other. But the proper ice creams from when we were kids where it was a long block and it was a square of ice cream in a, in, in one of those rectangle cones. Exactly. Yeah. Or with a wafer either side. What wafer either called? side, ice cream sandwich. What were they called? Oh, shit, I can't remember what we called those. In the old days. The old days. That was a... I think we just called them a wafer. Right. So you, have, you had an ice cream... Or you had a wafer, which right. was the, you know, it had the little wafer either side. Wafer the, either side. The block of, yeah, those those are the those are the ice creams, aren't they? The That's what we need. Wrapped in paper. In the days when you cut your ice cream with a knife. Can you still get them? I don't know. Yeah. Walls, walls ice cream. Walls ice cream in a block, in, in, a, in a long, thin. With a wafer. Like, yeah, mm. right. Okay, oh. so we'll do Bridlington on that side. What, what do you fancy on the? What do you, where do you fancy in the northwest? Because Blackpool's too obvious. So maybe Lytham. What about Lytham? Well, I got a text. You know me. I don't drop names, but I got a text from my mate Clem Burke from Blondie the other day, and he he was just on his way back from Lytham St Tens, where they'd opened for Sting. Wow. So I don't know what's at Lytham, but they, Sting and Blondie had been uh, had been there. Bet they didn't play a bandstand. He was uh, probably not. Probably not even a grandstand. Probably a a mega stand. They probably play. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) this is shaping up. This this is really shaping up. Arena. I'm liking the idea. So I think we now throw this up to the purples. If you live in a seaside resort and you've got a bandstand, then can we start to put together some dates for the bandstand tour? Yeah, don't book them in. I don't think you can book them. a bandstand. No, oh, can you not? All right. Well, you probably do it on the council website. It's probably next to tennis courts. You just kind of squat. You just turn up and do it and wait wait, wait until you're arrested. The squatting at the bandstand tour. Yeah, that could be quite interesting. <laughs> well, what, me and you running off? I've got your, your piano stolen, you've got your pen under, under your arm. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, plugging it in might be the tricky bit. Oh, no, there's plenty of portable PA now. Is there? Yeah, yeah. loads of it. Right. Yeah, well, that's not a problem. Yeah, you're not getting out, out of it on a technicality. You need a generator, wouldn't you? Probably. No, the, no, you'd do you'd smaller a... format batteries than that. You, you, you'd make it, we'd make it work. Okay. An intimate H natural show on a bandstand. On a bandstand, I'd need an inverter. That's what I'd need. I'd need an inverter power, to power my piano. Right. And right. three or four lead-acid batteries. 
It'd be fine. We just nick a couple out of a Vauxhall Corsa. It, it, you're one no. of those. You're one of those. Let's do the gig right here, people. Aren't yeah, you? I am. You're, I am. you're on that double decker with Cliff Richard, aren't you? In the show I'm absolutely on that. I'm on that roof you're with the Beatles. The, I am. Yeah, yeah, with with Hank Marvin and his Fender Strat plugged into a seat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think we should right leave it there because I don't think this is going to get any better. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think we've peaked for today. So everybody now start to get involved in this. See, if, you, if you're a purple, you live in a seaside town, you've got a bandstand, we want to hear from you. I better order myself a nice thick coat. You've got loads I, of thick coats. Oh, all right. Yeah, I probably have got a couple of thick coats. Um, I remember all my holidays as a kid. You know, and the my gran in the deck chair with forty layers of clothes on, you know, frozen stiff, going, oh, it's bracing, isn't it? <laughs> that was the word, wasn't it, for really cold on a beach, <laughs> bracing, bracing. <laughs> <laughs> you need a duffel coat's what you need for this tour. <laughs> I do. The duffel coat and bandstand <laughs> tour. And a balaclava. I think you know, but some of those fingerless gloves. Exactly. Yeah, and a duffel coat. Yeah. Oh, it's, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Balaclava and goggles. <laughs> right, we're sorted. Are you, are you sure it's him? I don't know. <laughs> sorted. Lovely. All right. Now look. Now look what we've gone and done. Yeah. Yeah. This is why Lucy's now purple, isn't it? This is why she's a patron now, so she can listen for things like this. With horror, no and doubt. Put a, and put a stop to them. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Lucy, I think it's a winner. He, th- he thinks it's a winner, Lucy. He's doing your job for you. I'm really not. If you listen to that idea, <laughs> I'm really not. <laughs> well, I'm going to the racket club a bit later. See Ian, actually, we're having a a rendezvous. I'm I'm not quite sure why, but but we're having a rendezvous at the racket club. A rendezvous in the racket club, right? Uh, in a minute. So I don't know whether you should drop it in or not. I'm going to slide off right to the racket club for a rendezvous with mostly the count. In which case, I'll see you for one six eight. Okay, matey. Uh, I will see you very soon. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.